We're in the book of Luke, and we're in Luke 11, verses 14 to 28. We'll have the verses up on the overhead today. And uh, the message is called, I, I kind of struggled on what to call it. And it never, it doesn't really matter, does it, what I call it? Like, uh, what does a title mean? Uh, Overcoming the Strongman was one title I thought of. Uh, another t- title that I went back and forth with was The Unseen Battle. And that's because that was prayed at our prayer meeting last night. Another title is No Neutrality. We'll see that in the text. But let's look at Luke 11, verse 14. Coming out of the week of fasting and prayer, uh, this is where the Lord has us. As he, Jesus, was casting out a demon, uh, later in the text called an unclean spirit. How did this man have a demon in him? We don't know. What, what was it he did? How did he open his, up, his soul up to the demonic, occultic world? What kind of evil did he dabble with? We, we don't know. The scripture warns us a lot about dabbling with witchcraft and seances and calling on the dead and all kinds of evil practices. The Bible warns us not to practice such things. And whatever he did, something happened that this man had a demon in him, and we're told it was mute. That is, the demon-possessed man was mute. He uh, couldn't speak. And according to the Jewish teachers, if you didn't know the demon's name, you couldn't cast the demon out. So that made this guy impossible to save. But you know, with Jesus, there is nobody impossible to save. With Jesus, there is nobody that is hopeless. And so we read in this story, so it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke. This this man no longer has the demon. He can now talk. And the multitudes marveled. I thought this was impossible. I I thought this man was hopeless. No one could cast this demon out because he can't speak. But some of them said he, Jesus, cast out demons by Beelzebub. That's how he does it. He's he's in sync with the devil. He's in sync with the ruler of demons. That's why he can cast this demon out. And verse 16, others testing him sought from him a sign. Now, we're going to read about uh, Jesus talking about those that were seeking a sign down later in verse 29. Others testing him sought from him a sign. Like, that's not enough to see a demon. We want to see a sign so we know you're the Messiah. We're not going to believe you till we see a sign. Verse 17, but he knowing their thoughts, that is that they were saying that he must be doing this by the devil, by Beelzebub. He know, and that's interesting, isn't it? He knows our thoughts. That's a really deep thing to ponder. That the Lord always knows your thoughts. And what you want to do is learn to live in real time with God. Are you angry? Are you seething? Talk to God about it. Are you lusting? Talk to God about it. Are you full of greed? Are you full of anger? Are you bitter? When when those things come, are you angry? When when they're there, just know, Lord, I get to live with you. And just learn to, t- are you being tempted? Are you being enticed? You're right, should I do it, should I not? Talk to God about it. Just He sees, he knows your thoughts. And here we read that Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, so you think I did this by Beelzebub, huh? 
every kingdom, and now Jesus is going to tell us truth that we wouldn't know if God in the flesh wasn't telling us this truth. So it's valuable truth. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to ruin or desolation. And a house divided against a house falls. So this is truth. This is the truth of God. That where the, a kingdom is divided, it's going to be ruined. Where a nation is divided, it will lead Civil war will lead to ruin. Where, where a house is divided, it, it will ultimately fall. It will split. Where a family is divided, it, a, a church family is divided, that church will fall. That's what happened. Little divisions happen, and the church falls. Many churches are ruined because of division. And the, the Amplified Bible translates this, the disunited household will collapse. The New Living Translation says, a family splintered by feuding, maybe even your own family knows this, it'll fall apart. And what we want to understand as Jesus brings forth this truth, and we're, we're learning about the demonic realm, the satanic realm, that division is one of the strategies of the devil. It's always been his strategy. It's always been one of his chief strategies. Divide and conquer. Divide mom and dad. He's a sick foe. He's always got those sights set on the children. That's, that's my story. Satan wanted to crack open that shell, the covering over the kids, so he can get to that young flesh. It's always been his strategy. And 2 Corinthians 2.11 says we're not to be ignorant of the devil's schemes. We should understand that. We should understand that. That's the devil's plan to divide your marriage. That's the devil's plan to divide your house church, to divide your church family and conquer it's, always, it's an effective plan that we're not to be ignorant of. And when we think of not being ignorant of the devil's schemes, I think some of his most uh, effective attacks against us are doubt, discouragement. You know you're being attacked when you're doubting God. And you're doubting his love for you, and you're doubting the cross, and you're doubting the, the central event of all history, and you're doubting the word of God. That, you're under attack. When you're discouraged, it's attack. So often, doubt, discouragement, deception, right? That's an interesting thing about uh, Satan. He deceives. That's one of the main things we know about him. And the interesting thing is when you're being deceived by the very nature of the word, you don't realize you're being deceived. You think, oh, no, this life I'm living, it's going to lead to the abundant life. You're being deceived. You're on the broad path going to destruction, but the enemy's got you deceived. Oh, no, I'm on the narrow path. The path I'm on leads to abundant life. And he, he's a deceiver. He's a divider. You know, when I think of um, division, I think of Proverbs 6.16. Maybe you know that um, there are, some people don't understand this about God. They just want to celebrate, God loves, God loves. Let's just focus on God loves. 
But if you're a biblical believer, you know that God also hates. He does. What does he hate? Well, we read it over and over again. Here's six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. What's abomination mean? It means it's detestable to him. It means he loathes it. There are things, there is behavior, there are lifestyles that God hates. You know, there's even a verse that says God hates divorce. And that's a hard verse because people that are divorced, what they hear when they hear that, they, they hear God hates the divorced. No, God hates divorce. I hate divorce. I hate that my parents were divorced. I hate what it did to our family. I hate that my mom has lived alone for 35 years. I hate that. I hate everything about it, and God hates it too. Seven are an abomination to him, a proud look. Whenever you're the, the prideful person in any scenario, God is gives grace to the humble, but he hates the proud. A lying tongue, it's never right to lie. Whenever you're lying about something, God hates it. Hands that shed innocent blood, what do you think of when you think of hands that shed innocent blood? Me too. A heart that devises wicked plans, your heart's ever devising wicked plans, God hates it. Feet that are swift to running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren, the little whispering, the little whispering squad, the little, you know, what you're saying, what gossip is, is when you say something behind someone's back that you wouldn't say if they were there. And it divides, and it poisons, and God hates it. And, you know, you should always ask yourself, the scriptures say, if it doesn't edify, don't say it. Is, it, is what I'm saying edifying? Is it building someone up, Ephesians 4 says? If not, don't say it. Just let that always be the filter. You know, Susie and I have raised three kids. We've tried our entire lives. We never talk bad about anyone in our marriage, with each other, or with our children. I think there's nothing that poisons kids more than they hear their parents, the little whispering, the little discord, the little backbiting. Talking the way you wouldn't talk if that person was there, always catch yourself. Well, it's so important that we identify this because the opposite of division is unity. And where division brings ruin, unity brings a powerful work of the Spirit. We've just experienced a powerful, powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit here at the church. And God is still moving in response to our prayers. And, and look what we read. Look what's at stake when we're divided and we're sowing discord instead of being united and we're praying. And look at Psalm 133, how good. Isn't it good? The week of prayer and fasting, so good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil. Oil in the Bible is, like, is a type of the Holy Spirit or a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's like that precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down the edge of his garments. Right? When there's unity, it's just the oil. The Holy Spirit's being poured out. You're just dripping with the work of the Spirit. Yeah, it's also where there's unity. It's so good and pleasant. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon in the north of Israel. 
descending upon the mountains of Zion, that's Jerusalem, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Wherever there's unity, there's blessing. That's what's at stake. If we're divided, the enemy conquers us. If we're united, we'll experience a powerful move of God's spirit, blessing us, giving us life. And we've been looking at all these verses in the book of Acts when they prayed in one accord, the Holy Spirit was poured out over and over again. We looked at these when we were in the week of prayer and fasting. And then we um, come to, as we go through our text, Luke 11, verse 17, we'll read it again. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against itself, uh, against a house falls. And then he goes on to say, if Satan also is divided against himself, how, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say I cast out demons by Beelzebub. If you think I'm in sync with the devil, then the devil's kingdom is doomed. How, 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 can I be, how could I be in sync with Beelzebub going against Satan's kingdom? His kingdom would fall. If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, verse 19, by whom do your sons cast them out? You, you have, the Jewish leaders had uh, exorcists that were casting out demons. Are they, do you say then everybody who's casting out demons is doing it by the power of the devil? And, and they would say, well, no, that, we, we can't judge that way. That, that wouldn't be correct. And verse 20, Jesus says, but in contrast to being in sync with the devil, if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Perhaps that's how easy it was for Jesus to cast out the demon in this impossible situation for man. Just a finger. Just Maybe that's all he had to do. Maybe he just looked at the man and just went, you're gone. And you know, it's interesting, in the Old Testament, you read about the arm of God, the mighty arm of God. You read about the good hand of God. This didn't take his arm, it didn't take his hand. Just the finger of God. Who is Jesus? He's God. He's God in the flesh. It was nothing for him to say, be gone. And so... Uh, we read here of Jesus uh, speaking of the finger of God. If I cast out demons with the finger of God, if that's what happened, if I'm not in sync with Beelzebub, if it's actually the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And that's exactly what had happened. The king had come. The kingdom of God had come to earth in Jesus. And this is what uh, Jesus' preaching sounded like. We can uh, compare what our modern day preaching sounds like and what it sounds like when we're calling people to be saved. This is what it looked like when Jesus was preaching. He said, the time is fulfilled. That is, all the scriptures are fulfilled. Hundreds and hundreds of prophecies, all fulfilled that in the fullness of time, the Son of God was born of woman, born of Mary, and he came into the world. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. 
This is how Jesus preached. At, at hand means it's within your reach. The, the time is fulfilled. Anyone can reach out and take hold of the kingdom of God. Well, how do I reach out and take hold of the kingdom of God? You've got to repent. You can't be saved apart from turning from your sin. You have to recognize there's a sin problem between me and God, and you have to turn from your sin. And you have to turn to the solution, turn to Jesus who will forgive you. If you'll believe in him and in the gospel, gospel means good news because Jesus went to the cross to pay for all your sins. If you'll believe that, you'll be saved. You'll, you'll come into the kingdom. And, and Jesus, has, one of his central themes was the kingdom of God. And there was a very religious man that you know his name probably. His name was Nicodemus, a Pharisee. And uh, Jesus interacted with Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to him at night, probably because he didn't want anyone to know that he was going to Jesus, that he was wondering if Jesus was the Messiah. And we'll bring up what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Jesus answered Nicodemus and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again... And whenever Jesus says most assuredly, the King James is truly, truly. Listen, I'm telling you the truth. Listen to what I'm saying. Maybe that's for you today. Maybe this is a morning for you to repent and turn from your sin and believe the gospel in such a way that Jesus said, I say to you, unless you're born again, you're not going to be part of the kingdom of God. Well, what Nicodemus said, born again. Like, and he, you know, we learn from Nicodemus it's possible to be very religious and not be born again and not be saved. And Nicodemus said, what, what, born again? What, am I supposed to go back in my mother's womb a second time? What are you, you're talking nonsense. And then Jesus explained, he said, most assuredly I say to you, unless you're born of the water, and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And the church goes, oh, you know, oh, oh you got to be baptized to be saved. No, just keep reading. It's not baptism. But he goes on to say, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Being born of the water is being born of your mother's womb. The water breaks. And Jesus is saying, unless you have a fleshly birth, he interprets it for us, and a second birth, a spiritual birth. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. Then he said it even stronger. Do not marvel that I say to you, you, you must. God in the flesh telling you, you must have a second birth. And, and that would be the question, the most important question of the morning. Have, have I... Have I ever repented of my sin? Am I just a pretty good deal to God? Am I a pretty good person that prays and tries hard and goes to church? Or have I ever repented and turned my back on my sin and turned to Jesus to forgive me? I'm willing to turn away from anything that's not pleasing you, and I want to get a hold of what you did for me on the cross. I believe that. I believe that good news in a way that you're saved. The Old Testament prophet says this is what happens, Ezekiel, when you get born again. 
that God takes out this hard heart of stone and he puts in you a tender, responsive heart to God. And, and a lot of people, they hear about being born again, they go, yeah, yeah, I'm, I, I'm not going to be able to do it. I can't, I can't do it. I, I won't be able to, I can't be a Christian. I won't be able to. And the next part of that prophecy says, he puts his spirit in you that you want to obey. That's what happens when you're born again. You know, I don't want to be drunk anymore. I don't want to be immoral anymore. I don't want to view pornography anymore. I don't want to steal anymore. I don't want to lie anymore. Do you know how wonderful that is when your life switches like that and there's only one truth you have to remember? I remember that. Becoming born again is like, whoa, there's just one truth. I don't have to remember who I told what to. Because my life was just a lie to everybody. Now I just have one truth. It's so easy to keep one truth true. <laughs> there's just one truth. That's why there's just so much peace and so much joy. And so Jesus says, do not marvel. I say to you, you must be born again. Well, let's, let's read on and, and let's go back. Just go back to verse 19. Read it again. If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they, they will be your judges. And then verse 20. But if I cast them out by the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And let's keep reading. See what Jesus tells us next. Verse 21. Speaking of Jesus bringing his kingdom. This now brings us into the unseen world. The spiritual realm. What's, what's going on behind the scenes right now in our world? And Jesus tells us, when a strong man, and this is, he's talking about Satan. When a strong man, fully armed, you're now looking into the spiritual realm of what's going on in our, our world. A very strong, powerful enemy. He is fully armed. And I think in our day, he's weaponizing culture against the youth. He's got his sights on that young flesh again. He's fully armed, wanting to destroy as many as he can. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his own house, his own estate, his, his reign, this is Satan. He's, he's guarding his territory. His goods or his possessions are in peace. They're safe. He's guarding those that belong to him. He's fully armed. But then Jesus reveals more, verse 22. But in contrast to this strong man, when a stronger than he. So this is the gospel. This is the, the kingdom coming. The king coming to the earth. A stronger than he, that's Jesus. When a stronger than he comes upon him, that's Jesus came. He stooped that infinite, 
distance from heaven to earth to pay for our sins, but also to overcome the reign of the strong man. He comes upon him and overcomes him, and he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. That is, the other gospel says he plunders his goods. He sets all of those that were held by the devil free. Jesus came to destroy, the Bible says, the works of the devil. And Colossians tells us this in probably the most powerful way. Colossians 2.15 says, talking about Jesus coming and going to the cross, having disarmed principalities, and powers that principalities just means rankings of demons. There's all these rankings of demonic beings. Some of them localized, some of them the Bible teaches over entire regions. There's a very strong uh, demonic being called the prince called the Prince of Persia. The Middle East, the Bible says, has this very strong demonic being over that part of the world. But Jesus came to disarm principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle. Public spectacle is when an army would beat another army. They would strip all their generals and all their officers and make them walk naked through the communities that they once reigned in. That's what Jesus did to the demonic realm. He completely stripped them and humiliated them, making a public spectacle of them, of them triumphing over them. You read it, triumphing over them by, right, the cross. He defeated the strong man. And when we come in that victory, we come with that authority of Jesus, with that victory of the cross, Satan must, all principalities and powers must yield it's tremendously powerful when a believer understands what Jesus accomplished and the victory that is now ours. It's tremendously powerful when you begin to pray the blood of Jesus over others, when you begin to pray the cross over others, over schools, over communities. You know, Susie and I have been praying over OSU for 28 years let me tell you what a joy it is to see 700 students all worshiping like that. I tell you, it was not like that when we came 28 years ago. God is doing a work. And when you begin to pray the blood and when you begin to pray the victory of the cross, Satan is a very stubborn foe. Some of you are in the midst of a battle right now and the enemy just wants you to believe it's impossible. There, she's impossible. He's impossible. They can't be reached. Just don't stop praying. And that's a lie. He's a stubborn foe. He doesn't want to relent. And we've been learning a lot about persisting in prayer. And so we read another prophecy, Isaiah 61, verse 1, talking about this victory of the Messiah coming, the kingdom coming. The Spirit, tell me what you see in this opening line. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. What do you see? You see the Trinity. You see it all through the Old Testament. 
the Spirit, God, and me, the Messiah, is the prophecy. The Lord has anointed me, God the Father has anointed me to preach good tidings or good news to the poor. It's not talking about like poor financially. Poor in the scriptures like this is talking about spiritually poor. You can't be saved till you recognize that spiritually you're in trouble. As long as you, someone thinks, you know, I'm doing pretty good, I'm a good person, I'm not a bad person, you can't be saved. You have to recognize that spiritually you're a pauper, that spiritually you're bankrupt, spiritually you're poor. That's the first step to being saved. And so the prophecy says that he's anointed me to preach the good tidings. Who can receive good tidings? Who can receive the good news? Those who know they're sinners. Those that know they need saved. Those that know there's a sin problem, a terrible sin problem. That's who the gospel's for. Preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal. Right? Jesus heals us. If you've been born again, you've been healed. Your heart's been healed. That, that um, brokenhearted could be translated a broken down. Right? We're, our lives, our sin breaks us down, and then Jesus heals us. It could be translated brokenhearted, could be translated broken in pieces. Right? That's who Jesus comes for, people that are broken, shattered. And he takes the broken pieces of our life and he gives us peace. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound by the strong man is what it's talking about. Right? Jesus sets us free. And at first, we're just so excited that we're set free from the penalty of sin, and I'm saved. But the greater message is even that we're set free from the power of sin. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I don't have to lust anymore. I don't have to be immoral anymore. I don't have to be a slave to pornography. I don't have to be a slave to marijuana. I don't have to be a slave to alcohol. The gospel frees you from the penalty and the power of sin. And now there's another verse in 2 Timothy as we talk about this strong man. And it's Paul writing to young Pastor Timothy, and he's telling Timothy that when you, you know, Timothy, you've got to be patient as a, a young preacher. You, you've got to patiently work with people. And he tells him, if God perhaps will grant them repentance. I don't know, have you ever repented of your sin? You know, you can do that right now while you listen to me. If you've never turned from your sin and clearly believed Jesus and been made a new creation and God's taken out the hard heart of stone and given you this tender, responsive life and you know the Spirit's in you, 
You know what, if you're saved, you, if you've been born of the Spirit, you know the Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. If you don't know that, you need to repent. You can pray that right now. You pray it right where you sit. Just tell the Lord, Lord, I want to repent of my sin. I want the gospel. I want a new heart, a healed heart. Pray that in your soul just right now. You know, it's something that Paul told Timothy that God grants. Salvation is a sovereign work of God. Ask God to grant you that. Maybe you're like, I'm not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to do it. Ask God. Pray that. If, you're, if, if you don't know that you're saved, ask him. Pray a prayer. God will answer that prayer. If, if you ask him, God, would you grant me repentance? Or maybe as we read this text, it's not that you're not saved. Maybe the Spirit is in you. Maybe what God would be granting you is a a repentant heart to get out of the snare that you're trapped in. As, As we read this, read it with me. Timothy, be patient. God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. Maybe you've been believing a lie. Yep, I can live this way, and I'm going to end up in the abundant life. I'm going to be in a beautiful marriage. I'm going to have a wonderful family. God's going to bless me. But you know what? That's not the path you're on. You're on the path to destruction. You're on the path to a collapsed life. Your your life is going to be ruined, and you're not going to get to do it over. And maybe this is the day that God, and maybe you could pray it. Maybe you already know, God, God grant to me repentance. God, I want to know the truth. One of the men in our state came here to our week of prayer and fasting. He's a pastor. Another part of the state. He's been drawn to another woman in his fellowship, considering all kinds of steps to be with her. And he came to our week of fasting and prayer, and he asked the question, God, is there any truth you want me to know? He couldn't even see that it was wrong. And now it's out in the open. This week, his four elders were here with me in the prayer chapel yesterday. It's just a mess but God is granting him repentance. It's now out in the light that God can help him and heal him. And maybe for you, God needs to get it out in the light. And maybe this is the beginning of you knowing the truth and that they may come to their senses. Right? Maybe this is a morning of you coming to your senses, the life you've been living and repenting of it and escaping the snare of the devil. Do you know that the devil is the great trapper of men? And it's always the same lie. It's, it's like the fish looking at the bait on the hook and the fish is going, oh, a free meal. Look at that juicy worm. Man, I get a free meal. Nope, you're going to be skinned and in a frying pan in just a few hours. 
just looks like a free meal. Sin is, is never free. It will always cost you more than you ever thought you'd pay. It will always take you where you never thought you'd go. It will always keep you longer than you ever thought you'd stay. And, you, and, and by God's gift, he gives you repentance. And you, you come to your senses so that he wants to help you escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. This is what Jesus is talking about, the strong man and guarding what's his, not wanting to give up his. Well, we read just a little bit more because Jesus says, as he tells us all about these two, two strong men, the invisible world, a strong man, fully armed and powerful, but then a stronger man who comes and overcomes this evil strong man that Jesus talks about. And Jesus says of these two kingdoms, he who is not with me is against me. So are you with Jesus? Are you united with him? Is he your Lord? Are you living for him? Is it true? Is the gospel true in your life? Is the spirit in you? Because if he who's not with me, if, if not, you're against me, Jesus says. And he who does not gather with me scatters. So you're either gather, gathering sheep your whole life. You're gathering other sheep to be part of the sheepfold with the good shepherd. Or you don't realize it, but your life is actually scattering others by the way that you're living. And, and what we learn here from Jesus is that there, it's the title I mentioned earlier to you, there's no neutrality when it comes to following Jesus. You can't be neutral. If, if you think, well, I'm not ready to be born again. I'm not ready for the spirit to do that work. I mean, I still want to party. I still, I'm in college. I'm, I'm in a relationship. I certainly don't want to stop having sex. You know, I'm not, I'm not there yet. But I'm not against Jesus. No, you're against him. And that could be part of you coming to repentance to realize, no, you're actually against him. There is no neutrality. To be undecided is to be decided that you're against Jesus. If you leave here undecided, you're not leaving undecided. You're leaving against Jesus. There, there's no neutrality. And I, I pray, I pray you don't leave here neutral. What you think is neutral. I pray that you, you repent of your sin even now. You know, is God granting repentance? Is it there? Could you reach out and take it? This is a gift for you to get out of the snare. Is there truth that you're not willing to see? Again, it, no one could, could do that for you, but you could pray, Lord, I repent. I want to turn from sin and turn to you. I want a new heart. Or 
Or maybe you're saved and you're, you're, it's that song we were singing, oh God, my God, how I need you, I'm trapped. Oh God, my God, I need you, I'm trapped. And then we, we read more, verse 24, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, this demon goes out, he goes through dry places, very interesting, into this whole demonic realm, seeking rest and finding none. That's the demonic realm, looking to everything to find rest, looking, looking to alcohol, looking to sex, looking to marijuana, looking to drugs, always looking for something but finding nothing. That's the demonic realm. That's the kingdom that is going on under the strong man in our world. People are looking and no rest and trying and changing this and change. You know, man can change the outward appearance, but there's still, there's still no rest. But they're looking for rest. But only God can change the heart. And the, this demon goes out seeking rest. Find, everywhere he goes, finding none, and says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he find it, finds it swept in an order. So that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to sweep out all the filth. He wants it all gone. He wants to go through all the rooms. He wants to sweep out all the dirt, all the filth. And he wants to put your life in order. Right? This is the work of God, that he becomes first. And you live for God first and then others. It's amazing. You can try to live your life like trying to get all the relationships right and you're failing and, and everything's always going wrong and you can't get it right. But as soon as this gets right, all of this comes into harmony. It's the right order. God's first, then your marriage Then your kids. Right? The closer a man is to God, the more his marriage is thriving. The closer a man or woman is to God, the more their kids are thriving and cared for and shepherded and prayed for. And God brings your life into order. God and marriage and kids and others. God and others, and he, he, he cleans your life out. Susie had a vision last night at the prayer meeting of a house. She didn't really know what I was teaching on, but she had the, the, the vision of a house, and all the baseboards in the house were cracked, and mice were coming in, and cockroaches were coming in. And with it comes the feces and the urine. And all through all these little cracks comes all this disease and filth into the house. But she saw this picture of the Lord coming and just sealing up all those baseboards, sealing up all those cracks. It's the picture of him just wanting to sweep the house clean. You know, I was praying this morning and the Lord was reminding me of, of maybe it's not cracked baseboards but we had some friends that had a raccoon or um, 
And I think it was a raccoon infestation underneath their house. And when that happens, the smell of feces and urine begins to make that house unlivable because what's happening underneath the surface. And those uh, raccoons will do great damage to the house, tearing things up. The unseen part of the house is being destroyed. And I wonder if that's not a word for someone, that there's this filth coming in your life, and God wants to seal that up and, and clean it out. I wonder if it's not a word for you that underneath the surface there's things going on that smell and are rotten and are destroying your home, your life. Destroying the very foundations of it. And it, it needs to be dealt with. Well, verse 26, then he goes, when this demon goes out, he's seeking to, to find rest and he can't find any. He wants to go back to the house he came from. Then he goes and he takes with them seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And that's interesting, that some demons are more wicked than others. I was watching TV the other day, and I don't know what the series was called, but it was the new series was going to be, the exact words, even more twisted and wicked than ever this season. And you're just like, where is this coming from? Well, the Bible gives the answer where evil comes from. Right? The world says we're all basically good. No, the Bible says we're all sinful. And there's a very real strong man who's fully armed and wants to trap you and destroy you and ruin you. And the Bible gives the answer that some are even more wicked. Some things we see in the world, we go, that, that's, that's demonic, and it is. And this demon takes seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And this is the demonic's plan for your life, that the state of that man is worse than the first. Right? God loves you. God has a plan for you. He wants to bless you and use you and give you an abundant life. The devil hates you. He wants to destroy you. He wants your life to collapse. He wants to ruin it. He wants your state to be worse and worse until it's as bad as he can make it. Now, understand if you're saved, Satan cannot enter the house of one stronger. I think that's a very important point that the Bible teaches. If you're a believer, you can't be demon-possessed. You can be attacked. You can be oppressed. He's coming against you, but... But Satan cannot enter the house of one stronger that we're reading about when Jesus becomes the master of your house, the kingdom comes to your house. But if neutral, you're an easy victory for the demonic. And that would be how we're going to finish. And Joseph, you can come up. The team can come up. It's just a question. Is Jesus in your heart? as we're talking about this and learning these things together, is your heart Jesus' home? That's a, that's a concept Jesus taught us, and it's the last verse we'll put up. Right? He said, I stand at the door. 
It's talking about a house, your house. And knock. If anyone hears my voice, you know, there are some here today you can't hear his voice. There's others of you God is doing a sovereign work that the Lord wants inside your life and he's knocking. If you'll hear my voice and open the door, right? So this door doesn't have a doorknob on the outside. You're the only one who can open it. If you'll open the door, I'll come into him and dine with him. And he with me. Let's uh, stop here and...